Hi, my name is David Dylan Thomas. Welcome to another episode of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Uh, today is a very special edition. I have my best friend for over 20 years, Kevin Smokler, um, who is also the author of a new book called Brat Pack America. Kev, say hi to the good folks. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, and give a quick elevator pitch for your book. It's going to become clear why it's important in a moment. I should. I could probably stop with the subtitle. The title of the book is Brat Pack America, A Love Letter to 80s Teen Movies, uh, where I took 55 80s teen movies uh, and looked at them in the context of the decade and what was going on in America at the time and then asked, why are these movies still important to us today? So the reason that's going to become uh, important is going to become apparent when I ask these three questions. So, uh, Kev, tell me, what is your favorite book? Uh, Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. And your favorite movie? Twelve Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Okay. And uh, your favorite album? Purple Rain. Okay. Now, uh, Purple Rain, you know, came out in the 80s. That's when you first encountered it. Mm -hmm. um, how old were you, roughly, when you uh, first encountered Dandelion Wine? 23. Okay. And how about Twelve Angry Men? 16. All right, now ask me those same questions. Dave, what's your favorite book? Um, my favorite book is Great Gatsby. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And what is your favorite album? Uh, I'd say Octung Baby. And when did you uh, first encounter The Great Gatsby? In high school. When did you first encounter Octung Baby? Uh, just in college. And when did you first encounter Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, when it came out, so when I was a kid. So the, uh, the reason those all fall into roughly when Kev and I were between the ages of 10 and 30 is because of a bias called the reminiscence bump. And the reminiscence bump basically says that you are going to be much better at retrieving memories from the ages of 10 to 30 than pretty much at any other time in your life. There's this curve called the uh, lifespan retrieval curve, and it looks like this little sort of humpbacked beast where the big bump in it actually is the reminiscence bump, and it comes between the ages of 10 and 30 for most people. And one of the ways that this manifests is most people, their favorite book, movie, and um, uh, uh, album come from, were, were things that they encountered when they were, in fact, between the ages of 10 and 30. And there are a lot of theories as to why this is. Um, part of it is the idea that major life changes happen. Right during that time, and major changes are easier to remember than you know mundanity. So if you're getting married and you are um, going to school and graduating school and you're having kids, like all in between 10 and 30, and the rest of your life is well, I go to work and I come home, right? Then it's a lot easier to remember those those uh, those memories. Um, another thing, though, that people uh, have studied. Um, and this is part of what I wanted to have Kevin on here for, is this notion that a lot of your self-identity gets formed between the ages of 10 and 30. And today I kind of want to talk a little bit about, well, how does pop culture actually, you know, inform our identity during those, you know, during that time? How does pop culture kind of, you know, hijack our reminiscence bump to, uh, you know, implant itself in our brains? So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting. When I was, when I... I've gone across the country on book tour the last six months. I, I've talked to a lot of people who want to share with me, and this is typically when we get to the question and answer period of whatever presentation I'm doing. A lot of people will, I would say a good 40% will say, I just want to tell you how Amanda Jones from Some Kind of Wonderful or Marty McFly from Back to the Future uh, educated me, informed me when I was that age. Almost like the character was sort of a cliff notes for adulthood. Now, it, on the one hand, sometimes this happens when 
we are exactly the same age as the character, and the character seems more like a peer, albeit perhaps a peer you look up to because they're a movie star, they're in a screen, they're in a hyper-dramatic setting like a movie. Yeah. Um, I think just as often, perhaps not, perhaps even more, um, those characters, uh, we are two to four years younger than those characters. I remember back to the, when Back to the Future came out, I was... 12 going on 13 and Marty McFly was 17 yeah. going on 18 and I remember really thinking in five years if I play this right I'll be able to skateboard and play in a band and have a really pretty girlfriend and drive a 4x4 and have a mad scientist as a best friend yeah and they even tell you kind of like how to measure success right it's like oh he's in a band right and he's got a girlfriend I guess I need to have those things if I'm going to be Marty McFly like, like and you measure yourself by that gap right yeah, yeah, and and, and and I think and I don't I don't think this plays exactly into the bias you're talking about. But we conveniently overlook the things that don't work for our sure. narrative in that the fact that Marty McFly comes from a family of kind of hopeless losers, and <laughs> Marty McFly is clearly not the coolest kid at Hill Valley High School, yeah. and, um, and and there's a lot about Marty McFly's life that we would not have been envious of um, at that age. Well, well, yeah, and I mean, you could even also make it kind of a class issue too, right? Yeah. Like he's in the suburbs, maybe you're not in the suburbs, but the, the but where I think that also comes into play with the bias is one of the theories is that there's this notion of a, a cultural life, life script is what they call it, where, okay, at a certain age, you're supposed to get married. At a certain age, you're supposed to graduate high school and go to college. At a certain age, you're supposed to get a job. Like all these sort of things that, you know, are kind of your you inherit, right, depending on the culture that you live in, when those things are supposed to happen, but everyone kind of has those things that they think this is when it should be. And again, it usually happens between 10 and 30, and it's part of the reason I think that bump is so strong. But those movies also give us a little bit of a life script or comment on the life script. Yeah, I, when you said 10 and 30, I was actually thinking about, it seems to me that there's two or three parallel life scripts happening at the same time. There's the sort of stated expectations of society, um, there's the one that is governed as much by sort of biology and chronology. The 10 to 30 immediately made me think of, okay, that's the beginning of puberty to Saturn return, to, right. to the first revolution of Saturn return, which happens at like 28 and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is the kind of narrative created by culture, yeah. which is, we, 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 and these are all kind of laid on top of one another, that um, we see the characters in, in Real Genius being a combination of sort of college students students beginning as fresh, freshman to senior and um, and we we get the sense that oh well this is this is where we're kind of supposed to be when we're eight this is not only where we're supposed to be when we're 18 but this is ideally yeah. where we're supposed to be. There, there's a there's a, a wish fulfillment and a dreaming that goes yeah. along with um, that goes along with characters in fiction being uh, an ideal or an ideal or the completion of a narrative we're drawing for ourselves Totally, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Real Genius because that's another one of those hugely influential films in terms of like my identity growing up because I was a black nerd, right? And there was a lot of role models there, but I could at least get the nerd part out of Real Genius. <laughs> um, but and that sort of like taught me how to be a nerd in like a constructive way where people will like you and laugh at your jokes, you know? Like, yeah. you know, the, those, it was sort of very instructive in that way. There, there is a way that movie kind of expands the definition of nerddom. And not just because the characters all the characters are all at a really elite college and, and, and you know researching lasers and optics and stuff like that, but also that they all the 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 emotional thrust of that movie seems to be that being smart and having fun are not 
opposed to one another. That, right. Like, like that actually being smart together with other smart people is a really cool idea, which was, which was light years ahead of its time in yeah. 1985 when that movie came out. Yeah, and completely like not your experience if you're in high school like or in junior high getting picked on or whatever. It's sort of like, oh, there's another way, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I, chronology, going back to what you were saying earlier, is really important to that because that movie is very explicitly takes place in college. It has, yeah. it has, a, it has a 15-year-old as a, a prodigy as a main character, so which is why, why I kind of eked it in as a teen movie. In right, 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 right. <laughs> um, but there is a sense that there is a sense of that if you watch that movie at age, and you're the age of the main character, if you're 15 when you watch yeah. that movie, you say, "Oh, this is what awaits me in college." That that, that there's a there's a casting forward of exactly. of, of your of that of your of this life script that the movie creates for you. Totally. And um, the other thing I think that happens, you know, with this bump is that you get, you know, a fairly predictable cadence of reboots in cinema <laughs> once you get to this point where a lot of the movies in your book have since been rebooted you talk about Footloose that's been rebooted like um, that the people who are now in charge of making big budget movies um, are now hearkening back to 10 to 30 and it's almost like you could probably predict you know in 30 years <laughs> what what's going to be rebooted now like you can figure exactly how long that fashion is going to come back around let me ask you something I don't know if this is an either or question but are the reboots of these movies an example of sort of cynicism and the emptiness of inspiration and therefore kind of leaning into the bias that there was something unique about what was happening then that is no longer happening right. now? Or is it simply a, um, can we look at it more optimistically and say, even though, uh, even though I'm still leaning into this bias and thinking there was something more unique and special about culture of that time, uh, I have, um, it, it, it's fire still burns bright and I have the energy, and I, I, I can put my own stamp on it here, in the, I can do something interesting with it here in the present. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, but I mean, I think at an even like simpler uh, level, it's just, you know, what, what's called the availability heuristic, right? You know, if I'm trying to come up with an idea for a movie, if I'm trying to come up with something that like moves me, um, I'm either going to be thinking about movies I just saw. Like, I literally just went to so go see Get Out. I'm like, oh, we need to make more movies like that. Or I'm going to, like, retrieve the easiest memory to, memory to retrieve, and the next easiest memory to retrieve is going to be movies I saw between the ages of 10 and 30. So, like, and those are the ones that were, like, the memory of them is going to be fresher. And really, we haven't talked as much about this, but music especially, right? So one of the interesting studies takes a look at people's favorite movies, music, and, and books, and... Um, the books tended to be more easily retrieved, like something you actually read recently. That seemed to be a little more common. But for music, uh, was far more coming from that reminiscence bump. And what they pointed out was books you may read, you know, once or twice in your life, but music you listen to many, 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 many times from that first time you encountered it. So you have a much richer history with it. And so it's a lot easier to remember, oh, yeah, that music I heard way back when. So I think you, you see that with music, too. Like, it's amazing today how many covers, how many songs are covers. And I think back, well, in my day, oh, songs were, were new. People weren't doing covers. But when you actually look at it, it's like, oh, right, that Naked Ice cover of Always There Remind Me, that was actually a song from the 60s. Oh, I guess I fell into the same trap. <laughs> you know? when, uh, one of the questions I got most frequently when touring for Brat Pack America was, tell me about the soundtracks. Because, of mm. course, 80s movies were, were, were sort of the, they weren't the first movies to have soundtrack, but they were the point in film history when soundtracks sort of became a, a genre all unto themselves. Um, and there's a lot of obvious reasons for that. 
the birth of MTV, the consolidation of Top 40 radio, the sort of mass mollization of record stores, a lot sure. of reasons for that. But what I took from that in this context is that in some cases, a soundtrack and a film are 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 well are, are joined at the hip. Yeah. And some cases, and in some cases, even if you even if a movie has great music, you know, the soundtrack is kind of the, the soundtrack is kind of not as deeply encoded as yeah. um, as some of these. <laughs> so that tells me that not only does music follow a different kind of encoding pat, a, a yeah. different kind of reminiscence bump than film. Um, but that bump is kind of is in some way influenced by by the thing it's grafted on top of. Music right, grafts, right. It, grafts itself on top of, of of different kinds of memories more easily than movies and books. Oh yeah, totally. And I can tell you right now, I, I played the crap out of the Lost Boy soundtrack. I can still remember that big black and red. Ah, yeah. it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> so um, thank you very much for coming on. We should also mention. Uh, before we close, I don't know how I've never mentioned this until now. Kevin and I have a whole other podcast that I haven't bothered to cross-promote because I'm a horrible marketer. But we do a podcast called Talking Pictures, which you can also find on iTunes and all of your other specialty podcast stores, mm -hmm. um, where we talk about movies. Um, and this last uh, season, we actually talked about how different um, uh, genres uh, portrayed race. And we're working on a, a new season where we're going to do the same thing with gender. Uh, so be sure to check that out as well. It's uh, called Talking Pictures. Um, and uh, this is uh, David Dylan Thomas uh, signing off and happy to speak about a bias that isn't destroying America. Um, Thank God. And this is Kevin Smokler, the author of Brat Pack America, a love letter to 80s teen movies. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on, and we will see you next time.